Hey Liverpool One Church, thanks so much for checking us out online. This week I spoke about waiting. What are you waiting for? Sometimes when we wait on God, it can make us act in strange ways. But you know what? This message helps us look at alternative ways that we can wait on God so that your 2020 can be the best year yet. Well, good morning, Liverpool One Church. It is absolutely fantastic to see you here this morning. And you know what? It is an absolute honor and a privilege to be bringing this morning's message and the very last one of 2019. You know, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Becky. And over the past year, myself and my husband, Josh, have spent what feels like a lifetime worth of waiting around in waiting rooms. As this time last year, we started our IVF journey after three years of unsuccessful trying. But you know what? It got me thinking about the waiting room phenomenon. They are strange places, and they do strange things to people while they are waiting. You know, I was blessed with a healthy childhood. I was rarely in the doctors. But whenever I had to go, and whenever my dad took me, we always used to play a little game. Now, waiting rooms are generally silent. There might be a radio playing behind the reception desk, or maybe a muted TV playing whatever daytime TV is on. But generally, the people, even if they've got people with them, are silent or speaking in hushed tones. Well, my dad thought it was absolutely hilarious whenever he took me to the doctors to speak really loudly next to me to just break the silence. And, you know, they say laughter is the best type of medicine. And as a small child, I found it absolutely hilarious. I'm pretty sure nowadays I would be mortified. You know, I would consider myself quite a patient person. But society has conditioned us to expect certain things at certain times. Now, the invention of smartphones, an amazing thing, but it means that our patience is so small. We wait five seconds for anything to load, and we start to get frustrated. I get the train to work every day, and trains are notorious for bad signal. And there have been many times where I've been trying to just look something up, go on social media, and it's taken longer than five seconds. I've got frustrated, I put it in my bag, and I've just seethed for the rest of the journey. But you know what? With prime delivery, we have this. And sometimes we get it the same day, if not the next day. We have food delivered straight to our door. And we rarely practice the art of patience. You know, there's an old Christian joke that says you should never, ever pray for patience. Because there is no way that you would ever just be gifted patience. If you pray for patience, the bet is that God will give you something to wait for. So never ever pray for it. You know, Josh used to work in a doctor's surgery, and he witnessed this phenomenon of waiting rooms up close. And he used to come home with all of these stories about how people acted in waiting rooms. And it got me thinking. There are three types of people in waiting rooms. So we've got our waiting room here. It's clearly not an NHS waiting room. Um, so the first type of person are those that are worried. You can usually spot them. They've got the dithering leg. They're maybe wringing their hands. They're constantly watching the board to see whether their names are. Then you've got the people that get worked up. They get frustrated. Now, these people you can usually hear. 
You're usually here. They're usually stomping around, stomping up to the reception's desk, demanding to know why it is taking so long. You've got the third people that are the weird ones. They're usually like my dad, either trying to break the tension, or maybe they just don't know how to react in a waiting room. Well, Josh saw all of these types of people in a waiting room. Now, the worried people, they were easy to deal with. A gentle tone, some reassurance, they were usually all right. The people that were worked up, they were probably the worst ones to deal with. The amount of verbal abuse that Josh got on a daily basis, simply because there were no appointments left, was staggering. Now, there was one story about one woman who, for whatever reason, whatever reason why it happened, she's definitely going in the weird category. So she came up to the reception desk with her sample, and I don't know what happened, whether she was clumsy, whether she was nervous, but her urine sample then spilt all over the desk, soaking the two people stood behind it. So we can see, waiting rooms do strange people while they are waiting. Now, you know, when we're talking about waiting, I could have chosen any analogy. I went with the waiting room because it's something that we've recently experienced. But did you know that there is actually a whole area of psychological research in waiting in lines? Businesses, stores, restaurants, anyone that has to deal with people who are waiting pay serious money into this research. How you deal with people who are waiting in line can be the difference between millions of pounds gained and millions of pounds lost. Now, when looking through this research, I found that there were certain key factors that can make a wait seem longer, even if it's not actually, but it seems longer. The first one is that unoccupied time seems longer than occupied time. You know, this research first started um, in New York when one of the first Skyrise apartment blocks happened. And the guy in charge was getting loads of complaints by the tenants saying that at certain times in the day, they were waiting too long for the elevators to get up to their apartments. Now, he had the building guys look at it. Was there anything that they could do? No. There was literally nothing they could do on the waiting. So he got his board members round, and they decided they need something to be occupied. While they are waiting, let's give them something to do. So no word of a lie, the reason why most hotels and businesses nowadays, they put a mirror next to their elevators so that people can be occupied by looking at themselves. <laughs> Serious? It works, okay? They had no more complaints. One of the other key factors is that uncertain times seem longer than if you know exactly how long you are going to have to wait. If you're not sure, the wait can seem so much longer. Now, Disney are the masters at getting people to wait happily. You know, when you go to a theme park, you get into the queue for the ride, and they have an estimated time of four hours. And yet people happily walk into that queue. But what Disney has also got is at certain points, they also have an estimated time. Now you've reached this point, your wait is two hours. Now you've reached this point, your wait is one hour. But what happens when you have no idea when what you are waiting for will happen? Or even if it will happen at all? What happens when you are waiting on 
God. Waiting on God is probably one of the biggest, most testing parts of our faith. Maybe for you in here today, you're waiting for God for your perfect job. Maybe you've you've probably had lots of jobs, but they've never satisfied you. They've never met, made ends meet. You've probably applied to every job you've lost count. You've wasted ink cartridges on your um, printing of your CVs, and you've signed up to every known recruiter online, and yet still no job. Maybe in here, you are waiting on God for love. All of your friends are in couples. You have been to so many weddings that if you were to calculate the cost of all the outfits and presents, you could probably afford your own wedding. (laughs) Now, many of us in here also know what it's like to wait on God for salvation. Who is it in here that you're waiting for to come to God? Now, this can get even more frustrating when it comes to maybe your children. Maybe you brought them to church, but now they've gone away. They're making their own minds up, and they are choosing not to come to church. And the only thing that you can do is wait for God to bring them home. Now, for some of us, it's probably the worst wait we could ever wait. It's the one that keeps you up all night. It's the one that terrifies you. For some of you in here, you are waiting on test results, either for your loved one or for yourself. These results will be the test, has it come back? Has the treatment worked? You are waiting on God for that miracle healing all your friends are praying for. Whatever you're waiting for, it's not easy. We don't need research to tell us that. We know that it's probably one of the most testing parts of our faith. And every single person in here, I'm willing to bet, has experienced waiting. So this morning, with what time that I've got left, I'd like to explore what it says in the Bible, more specifically, the disciples when they were waiting on Jesus. What did they do? What could it look like? What could your year in 2020 look like if we waited on God differently? Now, I could have chosen from so many stories in the Bible. I think God knew that this would be a big challenge for us, so we purposefully put stories in the Bible of people waiting on God. If you're in here and you're waiting on God, I strongly recommend, have a look in the Bible, look at all the other stories. What can you learn from them? But we're going to have a look at a story from the New Testament in the book of Matthew. Now, Jesus is in his ministry, and he's just tasked his disciples to wait for him on the other side of the sea. Now, a little bit of context here. Jesus has just performed probably the most famous miracle that most non-Christians and Christians know, the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples have just witnessed Jesus feed over 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. It's important to remember that later on. So guys, let's jump in to Matthew 14. Immediately after this, so after the miracle, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. 
About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came forward towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now the story goes on, but I want to stop there and look at the reaction of the disciples. Now, not only has Jesus tasked them to wait for him on the other side of the sea, but they are now in a storm. Sometimes in life, it's easy to wait on God. I'm willing to bet that the disciples probably thought that waiting across the sea for Jesus was not going to test their faith. But then a storm hits. Maybe for us in here, that storm is time. We've been waiting on God for so long that it now feels impossible to wait on God. And then we start acting in the ways that we've just seen. And the disciples did exactly like this. When they were waiting for Jesus in that storm, they started acting like those people we saw in the waiting room. The story describes the disciples as being in trouble. Now, if you're in trouble, I'm willing to bet that you're worried. If you're not worried about the situation, why would you describe it as in trouble? Now, I hate being late for appointments. Now, a lot of our um, hospital appointments, we decided to have early in the morning so that um, we could go straight to work afterwards. But inevitably, that means that we were traveling during rush hour. Now, we would set off in good time, but of course, you would usually always get stuck in tra traffic. And I was like, the more that the clock was ticking down, but we weren't moving, I started to get worried. I started to think, we're in trouble here. We're going to have to rearrange our appointment because we're going to be too late. I'm going to have to get more time off work. This is going to cause some friction at work. I was worried. I was thinking that we were in trouble. The disciples were exactly the same. They were worried. Now, it also describes the disciples in that part of the story as fighting heavy waves. Now, you only fight against something if you're worked up, if you're frustrated. It'd be interesting if they knew that later on in the story, Jesus is going to come and the storm completely stopped. Would they have got so worked up? Would they have got so frustrated? Would they have fought against the heavy waves? Now, the most interesting reaction that I think is when Jesus finally does turn up in their weight. Now, the storm is still raging, but instead of the disciples being overwhelmed, overjoyed that Jesus has finally turned up, they're terrified. I just think this is crazy. This is weird. Because don't forget, they have just witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 people. That's a pretty awesome miracle. So you'd think, yes, of course, he's walking on water, but that's not a big deal when you've literally just seen him feed over 5,000 people. So to me... This reaction is weird. So we know how we act when we are waiting on God. But the nature of waiting on God means that we could be waiting for years. Do we really want to spend all of those years worried, worked up, being weird? My guess is no. So I want to have a look at this story, at the reaction of the disciples. 
almost in a what-not-to-do kind of way. But you know, isn't it comforting to know that the people closest to Jesus struggled with waiting on God? So I want to have a look at three alternatives to waiting on God. How can we go into 2020 waiting on God differently? When you usually think about waiting, it conjures up images of maybe sat on the couch waiting for a delivery that will inevitably turn up in the last five minutes of the 12-hour slot, but you're sat down. Well, when you're waiting on God, it's not about being passive. You shouldn't be sitting around while you're waiting on God. When you're waiting on God, we need to act. Now, it's important to note here that action doesn't mean trying to do whatever you're waiting for. You shouldn't be doing God's job for you. No. Waiting is actually a verb. To wait. To serve. So when you are waiting on God, you should be serving. Now, this could look like you serving in church, but it could also be, maybe in your world, you serving your friends by being the best friend you possibly could be. Serving your husband or your wife by being the best possible husband or wife you could be. Serving your boss by being the best employee. Whatever you're waiting on, you need to serve. Serve people. You know, another part of action, and we've looked at previously, when we're waiting, unoccupied time is what makes it feel like it's a long time. So sometimes in the waiting room, in the doctor's surgery, they'll give you a form to fill out, a questionnaire, something to keep us occupied, to keep us busy. And it's no different with God. While we are waiting on God, he gives us instructions. And we see this in the story with the disciples. They're waiting on him in the middle of their storm. Jesus turns up, but the storm is still waiting. It's still raging, and they are waiting for him to stop and calm the storm. And Jesus gives three instructions that we can learn from. The first instruction is do not be afraid. How many of us in here need to remember that instruction? You know, fear of the unknown is what makes waiting so difficult. That you don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. But Jesus is instructing us, do not be afraid. He's got it. The next instruction, quite similarly, is to take courage. We've already mentioned that the nature of waiting on God means that we could be waiting for years. For Josh and myself, our fertility journey was four years. And for us, that was a killer. But I know people in a similar situation that have had to wait 12, 14, even 20 years for their wait on God. Maybe that's you in here today. Maybe you've been waiting a long time. Maybe you've got quite a wait still to go. But God knows your story. He knows exactly where you are, but more importantly, he knows exactly where you are going. He has already planned for your wait to be over. So take courage in your wait. The final instruction that he gives the disciples, or more specifically to Peter, They're in their wait, they're worried, they're worked up, they're being weird. Jesus says to Peter, come. Now, during my wait, the best thing that I did was get close to God. There is no other way to do it. 
And it says in 1 Peter 5, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. There can be joy in the waiting, but you need to follow that instruction, come. God is saying, come to me. Come. So what instructions do you have in your life, in your wait on God? Maybe those people in here that are waiting on their job, you've been given the instruction to actually apply for a job. You've no idea how many people say that they're waiting for something and don't actually do anything about it. But maybe you've also got the instruction to go out and volunteer, get some more experience. Don't sit around being passive. Maybe for those that are waiting on love, your instruction is to love on others, to serve others. Whatever you're waiting for, the first key to success is action. Our second thing that we can do to successfully wait on God is be humble. It's all about humility. Now, I mentioned in my previous point in action about how when you act, it shouldn't be about trying to do God's job for him. But how many times do we actually do that? How many times have you been waiting on God for something for so long that you finally get so frustrated, you start doing God's job, God's job for him? You know, maybe it is your children. Your children have turned away from God. God has said, wait. Be patient, they will come home. But you start to get worried. You start to get worked up, frustrated. Now, of course, it's your children we're talking about. No one can blame you. But you start to do God's job for him. Maybe you start to nag them to come to church. Maybe you start to bribe them or maybe force them to come to church. But when we start to do God's job for him, it has the complete opposite effect. The other side to humility is asking the question, why are we worrying? Why are we questioning God? Worrying implies a lack of faith. Now that is a harsh fact because we all worry, but it's true. Why are we questioning God? We've recently put our house on the market and uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas, we were waiting on a woman to come back to us with an offer on our house. We'd put an offer on on our dream house and no word of a lie, I spent a sleepless night that night. I had a constant knot in my stomach. I was so worried that either person was going to fall out. We were going to lose our dream house. And then it suddenly just dawned on me, how dare I worry After everything that God has done for me, why am I worried? Surely God has got this after everything that he's done. And the disciples were exactly the same. And they had just seen Jesus perform a miracle. How dare they worry? We also know from that story, and I love this bit, that while Jesus sent the disciples off, he went up a hill to pray alone. Guys, he went up, which means that he had a bird's eye view of the whole sea. He could see the disciples. He could see the storm. And yet he wasn't worried. He didn't act. He didn't go to the disciples for several hours into the storm. And God is just like this in our lives. God sees everything. And he's not worried. He knows exactly when our wait is going to be over. And you know what? This leads us perfectly into our third and final point. When we're waiting on God, 
We need to trust. We need to trust God. Now, if I was to ask the question, do you trust God? I would imagine that most people here that call themselves a Christian, that know the goodness of God, would probably say that yes, they do trust God. But do you trust God's timing? That is a more challenging question. For some of you in here who have experienced God's timing, you could probably say yes. But I would be willing to bet that for a lot of us, we trust God's intention, but we don't always trust his timing. We don't always think that he's going to come through for us, especially when it's at that 11th hour. Now, as we said before, Jesus knew the second the storm hit, but he didn't go anywhere. He could have easily gone to the disciples and stopped the storm. He could have easily stopped their worrying, them getting worked up, getting weird, but he didn't. Why? God often blesses us in our bad times. Now, bad times for us, because they're the perfect time for God. But why does he do this? Because he wants us to understand that when we are waiting on God, it is not about the end result. When I was waiting on God, it was not about getting a baby. It took me a while to get to that point, but it was about my relationship with him. He wanted me to trust in him. Trust in faith and not in the world. You know, the weather, especially in Britain, is much like the world. Fickle and often wrong. I'm willing to bet that if the disciples had a smartphone, before they set sail into the sea, they probably would have checked the weather app. They would have seen that there was a storm brewing and probably not gone at all. But they would have missed out on something. You know, it goes on in this story. And it says, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. It was in this storm, in this wait, the disciples finally trusted Jesus with all of their heart. They knew exactly who they, he was. And if they'd have listened to the world, if they'd have listened to the weather, they never would have got this. Maybe for you, those of you who are waiting on God for love, maybe you've had the instruction to wait for a Christian partner, the perfect guy who loves God more than he will love you. And it sounds crazy, but it makes him love you so much more. But you start listening to the world. You check the weather. Your friends are telling you it's crazy to wait. And maybe one night you go out to a club and you meet a really nice guy. And he genuinely is a really nice guy. But he's not the guy that God wanted you to trust him for. He's not the guy for you. The question for all of us today, particularly those that are waiting on God, is do you trust the word or the weather? Do you trust God or do you trust the world? If the world doesn't understand something, it mocks it or it ignores it. How many times have you been the butt of someone's joke because of something you believe in? You know, in Proverbs 3, it says this, trust in the Lord 
with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. This isn't about understanding God's plan or God's timing. This is about trusting God, despite the fact that you don't understand. You know, many of you know mine and Josh's fertility story. We made a conscious decision to be as open about this as possible, because we believe that if it helps one person, then it's all been worth it. I've already mentioned that throughout my journey, my relationship with God has deepened, but it wasn't instant. There were a lot of tears, tantrums, trust that went involved. And I didn't get it right all the time. I was most certainly worried. I definitely got worked up and frustrated. And I have no doubt that Josh will confirm I got a little bit weird. You know, earlier this year, we started our first IVF cycle. And anybody that has been through it or knows anyone knows the emotional, the physical, and the spiritual effort that is involved. And after that massive battle to come out with nothing, as many of you know, our first cycle completely failed. Now, the doctors told us to wait for three months. They wanted us to detox our body on these antioxidants to make sure that we had the best quality ingredients. Now, I was more than happy to wait. In fact, I didn't want to go through it again. But God was giving me an instruction to trust him, to do the second round. So in September, we started our second round. This one was different. This one was the long cycle. This meant more hormones, more scans, more waiting for my body to be ready. But learn from my mistakes, because in that season, I was not humble. I questioned God constantly, and I was convinced that this second cycle would not work. There was part of me that didn't even see the point in doing it. But you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And I can honestly tell you that I am so thankful for the weight that I've had to go through. My relationship with God is so much more. I trust him so much more. And it was all worth it. Not least because my weight is over, but who wouldn't trade an amazing relationship with Jesus Christ for anything? I honestly wouldn't have it any other way. Now, we've been blessed throughout our journey to have some incredible prayer warriors. And they have been with us in the worst times and in the best times. One of these prayer warriors was Viv Hopwood. Now, there is a small corner of our loft that is already filled with baby things. Because for the last four years, Viv has been passing me baby things, some socks, a little knitted jacket. And on every single item, she has written, the cross has the final word. Her greatest prayer throughout all of this was that I would trust God, that I would trust that the cross really does have the final word and that God would come through on my miracle. The worst weight that I have ever been through is those two weeks when they've just implanted an embryo and you have two weeks to wait until you take the pregnancy test. 
You are constantly torn between the hope of being pregnant and what if it doesn't work. Now, we were due to take the test on Friday the 18th of October, but Josh wanted to take it early. Now, there was a part of me that really did want to take it. I just wanted to know the weights to be over. But there was also a small part of me that if I didn't know, there was still a chance that I could be pregnant. Well, we took the test. And as many of you know, we are expecting baby Scott in 2020. But I wanted to show you this, guys. I wanted to show you this. Because the symbol to show that I was pregnant is a cross. The cross has the final word. There's just another picture. You can work out who it looks like. So guys, thank you. As we go into 2020, let's wait on God differently. Instead of getting worried, getting worked up, getting weird, let's instead trust that God has got this. Let's act. Let's serve on others. Let's be humble. Thanks so much for listening to this message. Hey, if you liked what you heard, check out all of our other messages online and on all of our social platforms. And you know what? Why don't you check us out on Sunday? We have an 11 a.m. service and a 6 p.m. service. See you there.